Hi, my name is Stuart Alsop, and this is my podcast, Crazy Wisdom, where I interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work. What I've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, so what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Doug Ludlow. He is the CEO and co-founder of Main Street. Uh, their mission is to create jobs and opportunities in suburban and rural areas. Uh, and they've just recently announced that they're paying $10,000 people, $10,000 to uh, help people move to some of these op places to get some opportunities like that. Welcome to the show, Doug. Hey, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah. So where did this idea come from? So I'll start kind of from the very beginning, right? So I grew up in a relatively small town called Modesto. It's in California Central Valley. Um, and, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, it was a good place to live. But over the really the last four decades, we've seen job after job leave town, right? Factories closed, uh, you know, agricultural interest, interest dried up. You know the good jobs moved out of town, and so my entire life I've watched my hometown go from being this place that was kind of once the idyllic American dream, where there was a, a huge mix of working out of class families, professional families, to a place where the economy has really struggled. And this is a story that's not unique to Modesto. This is a story that's actually seen in thousands of communities across the country. So, you know, this is something I've been you know thinking about most of my entire adult life. I and then while, you know, over the last year at Google, uh, I connected with some of my, my friends and colleagues. We started discussing this problem and you know, realized that the communities they grew up in had the same issues as well. So we started brainstorming, you know, what can we do to really solve this problem? Uh, and after a few crazy harebrained ideas later, we came up with actually this. It's like, how do we link the talent that lives in these communities with the great jobs that are, you know, in places like San Francisco and New York? And how do we really take remote work, which is something that we're actually really passionate about, uh, to the next level. And so you guys have, uh, are you guys building relationships with companies outside of Silicon Valley or is it, or is, are you helping people get jobs in Silicon Valley, but move somewhere else? Yeah. So our focus is on really on the, the, the individual and the, the employee, the, the, the person who may want to move or actually I think more long-term, even, you know, in the near, very near future, it's the person who already lives in that community, right? Uh, it, it's kind of my, my crazy dream that no one should ever have to leave their hometown to get a great job, right? You, you know, many, many people, there's a, a term called brain drain. It's kind of a pejorative term, but it's the, you know, I graduated from high school, I go to college and I never come back because there aren't great jobs. Uh, one of our goal, the goals of our company is to kind of reverse that trend. So our focus is on identifying the talent that lives in these communities or can move to these communities and then giving them the network they need to support themselves. Uh, 
and we could go into that, but there's a few facets of that support that we think are, are vital. Interesting. Uh, and I, from your website, or maybe it was from the article where you mentioned the $10,000 $10, for moving to one of these communities. I think I saw that you guys are also building like a network of co-working spaces. Is that correct? So it, kind of. Okay. I, so the, really anytime you, you have a physical space, it's kind of called a co-working space uh, these days. So what one of the components, there, there, there are three real components we feel to like successful remote work to really fix the, the human side of remote work. We, we think the technology behind remote work is getting much better. I mean, Slack, Zoom, G Suite, et cetera. But the human side is still pretty broken, uh, kind of on a fundamental level. And so one of the things we want to do is provide people with community and build, really be the platform for building remote communities uh, where you, know, you don't, some people work from home very well, but most people don't. So we want to be able to provide physical spaces for people to, uh, to interact with other people, you know, I want to give you a, uh, a video first office where you could be video conferencing and yet still go out and in interact with people. Uh, so whether or not those are spaces that are built by us and managed by us, or they're actually part of our partners, like whether they're owned by the city, whether they're owned by, I mean, gosh, we'd work with WeWork, right? Uh, our, our vision is not to be landlords and we, we aren't going to be. Uh, our vision is to take care of the people within those spaces. And that's really interesting because a lot of these cities are also building uh, essentially financial incentives to move there as well. So I imagine they're pretty receptive to what you guys are doing. Yeah, they're extremely receptive. I mean, the the, the most I mean, the most well known example of this is the Tulsa Remote Program. Uh, so Tulsa, the city of Tulsa offered ten thousand dollars for people with current remote jobs to move to Tulsa. They set them up with cash. They'd help them find an apartment. Uh, they actually do a lot of other things to help those people adjust. So yeah, to your point, there are actually like hundreds of, of cities around uh, the country who will provide real incentives, who will, who will provide office space, who will, pro I mean, who will build you an office, right? Mm -hmm. Who will provide, you know, relocation benefits. It makes sense for the city, right? If you can attract, you know, 500 great jobs, that's, that's incredible. Uh, so yeah, so as part of our platform, we hope to connect cities and municipalities with companies and individuals uh, and the services they need. So this gets into an interesting thing I've been exploring over the past few days and past few weeks is there it's, and I'm trying to untangle it in my mind and with each guest, I'm uh, inviting them to help me untangle it. Sure. Uh, you have this trend towards remote work, which is, you know, I've, I've been hearing ever since I was growing up. I remember I once went to Clear Lake when I was 14. I grew up in, in San Francisco and Clear Lake's a, a, a lake about two hours north of here. And I once went there and I was like, I remember how, you know, I, I must have heard it from somebody, but I remember like hearing somebody say like, oh, all jobs are going to be remote very soon. And this was back in 19, probably 97, 98. Yeah. Um, and I remember hearing this and being like, oh, that's going to be so cool when I'm 30, when I'm working, I'm just going to stay on this lake and live on this lake. And like, have yeah. this. So people have been saying this for a long time. But it, it does seem to be taking off now. And now we have this digital nomad thing, which is I'm also trying to untangle. And so we've got this trend among some people that we can remote, work remote. And then we've got, a, I guess, a question. I'm not sure if, if, if you want to take this on or if I sh uh, should find somebody to take this on. But how much of, is remote work actually a thing among larger corporations? Like is IBM, are they, do they have a remote work kind of policy? Um, and I just want to untangle more of this, like how big of the, is it that remote work is? And how is that kind of 
kind of creating this atmosphere where what this thing that you're talking about can actually be something big as well. Sure. No, that, that that's a that's a fantastic question, and there's there's multiple layers. We start with like, uh, you know, twenty. I think you're exactly right. Twenty years ago, people said, "Hey, with the internet and these tools, every job can be remote." And actually, at, we're at the point where technologically that is possible for almost every information worker, uh, you, teachers, lawyers, accountants, etc. Uh, again, there's there's some great tools. The internet, like with again with with your mobile device, you could be connected anywhere. I, I've, I've worked from vacations at times, sadly. Uh, you know, uh, what technology bumps into in this circumstance is the human component, right? It's the isolation. It's the fear about your career. Uh, you know, there's there's this, this study that was done at Stanford. I could point you to uh, the professor who did this. They looked at this Chinese uh, company. It was a, it was a, uh, it was a, gosh, a, a travel agency. And they experimented with, you know, letting their, their employees go remote. And they found that 50% of their employees actually started performing better than if they were in the office and, and really did a great job working from home. But the other 50% basically wanted to quit. They could not stand working from home. And so you have this weird thing where remote work works really well for some people and other people are just totally turned off by it. The problem with this is you don't know who's going to be who. So companies have a really hard time. Like you mentioned IBM. Uh, I used to work for Google. Uh, trusting remote work at scale. I mean, if, if it costs, think of how much it costs to re, you know, uh, recruit a really good engineer. It could be tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases. It's, it's serious money. And if that person wants to quit after six months, then you know, you, you've burned a lot of money and a lot of momentum and, you know, and the training. Uh, and that's actually really where our company comes in and not to circle back to Main Street, but uh, we want to provide an option for those other 50% of people who want to work from the lake or realistically want to work from, again, one of maybe 500 towns that are big enough to support some level of community. Uh, so close enough to the lake, I suppose, mm -hmm. uh, but can't work from home for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe you're right out of college and you still live with your parents and don't have your own setup. Maybe you have a dog that barks. Maybe you have kids. Maybe, maybe you just don't want to work from home. Uh, turns out that's at least 50% of the population. So I think once, once that human side gets solved, then you'll see more and more jobs become, you know, then there really is no reason uh, to not have a remote first policy, especially in, you know, a lot of companies are going to the point where like, Hey, come in once a week and work from work remotely, work from home. The, you know, the other 80% of the week. So once, once it's solved for that other percentage of the population who really can't work from home, I think you'll see remote work really take off as a thing. This is something really interesting. I'm just realizing in this interview is that one of the hardest things about living in San Francisco is that the community element is transitory. And I yep. think it has a lot to do with this economic, uh, just like San Francisco is one of the hardest places to live in economically. And so, but it also is one of the most places where you can get the most opportunity because right. in the world is like technology is about to revolutionize everything. And San Francisco is the go place that you go to, to meet all these people. And so people come here traditionally after college and they get experience working at a tech company. They might start their own company. Um, but then somebody recently said that, you do that and then you go somewhere else again you go back to a hometown or you go back to one of these yep. medium-sized cities that are that is that are attractive to live for community and that's a place where you can really like find a friend who 
you will be friends with the rest of your life uh, totally. and meet with in person and stuff like that, which just is really hard to do in San Francisco um, because of just the economic pressure, the traffic, the, the, you can't buy a home unless you, unless you get really lucky. So yeah, yeah those, those, those things aren't jokes, right? I mean, traffic alone, which you mentioned, uh, you know, when I'll take the, my, my team at Google, right? We had people all the way up in Oakland and San Francisco down to San Jose, uh, some Santa Cruz. And to get that team together, it was impossible. Like you, it was, you want to visit your friend. It's, you don't want to take two hours in the car to get there. Uh, I totally agree. It's, 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 it's really, a, it does not create community in the way that uh, other places do. Like, and even, even local neighborhoods, most people spend all day commuting. It's very hard to then develop a relationship with your neighbor, right? As opposed to, you know, the way it used to be where you didn't work that far from home. And most of the world, that's the way it is. You know, many times neighbors will actually work you know, just as close to each other as they do live next to each other. Uh, and also the home prices are no joke, right? When you're looking at home prices on average, what, $1.5 million compared to the rest of the country, which is uh, 250000 that's a real disconnect between like, uh, you're right, you get lucky, you, you, win the, you win the startup lottery, you save a lot of money, and then you're, you're, you're paying a mortgage that is still five times more than the average. It's, it, it's not sustainable. Hmm. And I've always found it interesting that people leave California, everybody, the hype is that we're leaving California, um, but they're not really leaving California. They're, they're leaving San Francisco or they're leaving LA uh, and they're leaving those for another city because what the real, the real challenge isn't uh, I'm leaving California because there's uh, because, you know, it's like uh, Nevada city uh, is, isn't it, you know, it's, it's, they're not leaving California. They're leaving San Francisco for another city because like Denver or something like that because that's the economic opportunity is all inside of the cities which is this weird thing because now for some people, the economic opportunity is online and you don't actually need it, but that's not for everyone because it's actually quite difficult for you to get a, for most people to get a remote job unless they're an engineer or they already have an experience in tech companies or something like that. So it's really like, cause I, I've been thinking a lot about this is like maybe my long-term plan cause my family is actually from San Francisco and I, I want to be, be close enough. So maybe my long-term plan is to actually move to Nevada city, a place like Nevada city, which is up in the mountains, lower cost of living. Cause it's still a lower cost of living yeah. in a lot of places in California and Modesto, no. like it's still right. lower cost of living significantly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's this weird thing that it's like, it's, it's not only like leaving California, it's leaving the city for another city where you can also find economic opportunity. That's right. Well, statistically, if you leave the San Francisco Bay area, you are actually most likely to move to Sacramento. Uh, that is the number one destination for people leaving the Bay Area, followed by locations like Stockton, Modesto. Uh, most people who leave Los Angeles, you, you mentioned, don't leave California. They move to San Bernardino. They move to Riverside in the Inland Empire. Uh, you know, people really like California. California is great. Uh, people don't like the crush that becomes the Bay Area uh, or the, you know, I, I lived in LA for a while too. That traffic could get pretty bad there too. Nothing compared to what the Bay Area is today. Yeah, people love California, uh, and they and they want to stay here, but they want to move to areas that are not kind of in the belly of the beast here. And so, what are the cities that you guys are already working with, or what are the most attractive kind of medium-sized cities or smaller cities that that you're really finding a lot of people wanting to move to? So, our first three cities are uh, starting. We're going to be moving to Sacramento. We're going to be opening up in Salt Lake City mm. and then Portland. So these are in the 
you know, Sacramento is by far the number one place people from the Bay Area move to. Uh, Salt Lake and Portland both are in the top 10. Uh, the reason we're doing these locations and, you know, they, they are, you know, they are far more suburban than they are dense urban. They have educated populations. They have, uh, you know, they have good infrastructures. People want to live there. People move there. Uh, but actually, most tech companies do not have a presence there. Most, you know, most do not have a satellite office even. So we think there's an enormous opportunity in starting in these cities to develop this, uh, you know, the, the, the spreading of the, of the of the tech talent. Right? There's an enormous pool of talent in Sacramento, in Salt Lake, in Portland. You don't have to get them to move there. You just have to connect them to the global, uh, you know, the global economy. Interesting. So what are the most important elements to building a community in person that helps uh, promote a better remote work environment? Sure. So there's one is, you know, proper remote recruitment. The second is community. And we can talk about what the actual community means. And then uh, we're providing a bit of a career guarantee. Actually, let me start with a career guarantee, the Main Street guarantee, which I think is pretty interesting. So uh, after isolation, which is the number one concern of remote workers, they don't like being alone, the number two concern is often uh, fear for their career. If you're a remote worker, you know, if you lose your job, you can't necessarily get another job you know, easily. So what we're doing is for anyone who's a Main Street member, if you lose your job, if your company closes, if you get laid off, we're going to give you a stipend of up to $5,000 for three months uh, and provide benefits to your family while we work with you to find a new remote job. So again, it's that there's a, we think it's a pretty strong value proposition to a remote worker. Uh, Cause you know, for example, you, your example of living up at the lake, uh, that would be the dream. Uh, and yet if you lost that job, <laughs> time to move back to San Francisco, right? Mm -hmm. We want to incentive to let you know that, Hey, even if you lose that job, you're going to be okay. We're going to work with you right away. So it's a, it's a, it's a guarantee that, uh, we, it, we've actually seen this provide a lot of value to, uh, uh, to, to, to workers, uh, going back then to the remote, like remote recruitment done, right? So have you ever looked at uh, remote recruitment job boards or remote sites? Uh, they're not great, right? There's, I am hunting for a needle in a haystack. Maybe my talents are aligned. Uh, it's because the overwhelming number of jobs that are posted are actually not posted as remote jobs. Uh, they are, you must be based in Mountain View, you must be based in New York, etc. And yet, over and over and over again, for the right person, a job can become remote, right? If, if Amazon really wanted to hire this, you know, fantastic engineer, but it was a requirement of that engineer to be remote, odds are Amazon would say yes, right? And so what we're trying to do is turn remote recruiting on its head to where we identify talent, we screen that talent, let you know that this is actually going to be a very good remote worker. And then we expose companies companies with jobs to that person, as opposed to like making a talent person go hunt around themselves. Uh, so again, it's the, you asked what, what to make a, a remote community, remote network successful. I can't make you look for a job, a needle in a haystack. I need good companies to come to you. We're asking people to basically raise their hand and say, hey, remote work, I, I, I'm, I'm qualified, remote jobs come to me. So that's really interesting. There's the, the it's essentially Lambda School is trying to do a, essentially a similar thing where they train the right people, find the right thing, 
uh, but specifically for development. And then they have a relationship with a lot of different companies hiring. So you guys are essentially going to build a lot of relationships with these companies so you can source the right things to your members. Uh, yeah, go for it. That's right. The Lambda School's amazing. And I think we're all part of the same story, right? Lambda School will help turn you into a great remote professional uh, or a great professional. We actually think there's millions of people that you know, with maybe two weeks worth of training can become a great remote professional. Mm -hmm. Let's say, are you an accountant? You know, go through our remote training course and now you're a remote accountant, right? Uh, and so this, this talent pool, again, this, that we were able to tap into by, by featuring kind of the, the person first, the employee first and their skills, uh, I think really, really helps change the equation. Uh, and then the final part, and this is what, like, I spend most of my time talking to people about, uh, because it's in some ways it's the easiest to understand. It's also the, uh, you know, it, it also like attracts interest because you you wonder how this is going to work. We think community is the biggest missing piece here, right? Because uh, if let's say we give you a job guarantee and let's say we give we help you find a fantastic job, if you're miserable in your work environment, it's just not going to work out, right? If you're one of those fifty percent of the people of the population who can't. Uh, work from home for whatever reason, or doesn't want to work from home, it's going to be a bad environment. So we want to create these communities. And there's a variety of things that we think need to be done here. We think it needs to be a location outside of your house. We think it needs to be a location where you're interacting with other people. Uh, but, you know, and, and that's starting to sound like a co-working space. And you know what, co-working is the first step here, uh, which and it was just great. Like, again, we work, we think we work is, is great despite all their, their problems where I'm in a we work right now. Uh, what you then need to do is take that remote or take that uh, co-working center and turn it into a actual remote first center. So for example, I use video conference all the time. Like I'm on five video calls a day. I always have to find a conference room to work out of, right? I, it doesn't work at a hot desk. It doesn't work in our, our shared office. Uh, more and more the future of work is through video. So we want to be able to provide every single person with a dedicated uh, private, you know, small private office with a second screen, uh, you know, literally a second screen video conference mm -hmm. to where, you know, you don't have to fight for a conference room. You don't have to pay extra. It's just, this is your space, right? So it's video first. It's always on. It's always there. Uh, you then actually need the, the, the members of this community to actually have some ties to bind them together, right? So whether it's not just community events, but, you know, Offsites are the same type of thing about all the things you may do working with a, a broader company. Uh, you know, literally offsites, holiday parties, uh, you know, connections between people. These, these are things that don't actually occur naturally in most co working spaces. Uh, there's no budget for it, right? We work, you know, we work is the most well funded co working space of all time. The average co working space the community is, I hope you bump into me while I'm meeting, you know, mm. getting my coffee. Uh, so we want to be able to provide the same type of, you know, activities, engagement, uh, that would, you'd have at a larger company, right? Yes, you aren't interacting with your own company, uh, but you are interacting with other people. Yeah. And that's the key. And I've done a lot of interviews on remote work and that's what most people who know something about remote work say is that it really comes down to the, uh, meeting with other people that it, so for example, I, 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 I'm one of those people that remote work just kind of works for me at home. I can do it. No problem. I can, I can set up my own community. Something that San Francisco itself is making that difficult. Um, uh, right. because, uh, because of the things I mentioned previously, it's just like, it's just a difficult place to do it, uh, to build relationship, build community also because of this, uh, Peter Pan syndrome and just kind of <laughs> like, 
you know, it's like everybody has so many opportunities going on for things. So it's really hard to build stable relationships here. Uh, So that, so I can do that, but it's hard uh, in San Francisco. So, uh, but for a lot of people like that 50% who it doesn't work for, if you can create things in, in a separate environment, that's actually interesting for me as well. For if right now, if I were to do that, I would go to a place called the center. Uh, Do you know the center? Have you ever heard of it before? No. Yeah, it's in San Francisco, um, and it's kind of like the meeting place for the tech meets hippie person. Um, <laughs> sure. And so it's a tea center, and they've got yoga classes and stuff like that. But people, a bunch of people work there as well. Totally. Um, I th- actually, I think I have heard of this. We we reviewed all the co-working space in San Francisco. It sounds very familiar. You saw one, yeah, yeah. Yep. So it's interesting. I guess I, I should start to ask you about this rise of technology startups outside of silicon valley because so we've we we're, we're right now we've looked at it from a, the u.s economic standpoint um and there are a lot of other countries and you mentioned brain drain and it was really interesting because three days ago i talked to somebody in india who couldn't who went to yc but couldn't actually come because of the visa situation yeah. uh, and he had grown up his whole time town in india and, and you know growing up he would hear about this brain drain from india to the United States and now it's reversing. So it's going back to India That's um, right. and it's really interesting uh, that what it's doing to that as well. And, it, and this is part of the thing I'm trying to untangle because we've got some people now moving to remote work and then we have the rise of startup kind of ambition coming from Silicon Valley to the rest of the world, including a lot of different countries. Uh, and then, some of that's remote as well, but some of it's not, and some of it has to be in person. And it all seems down to the cultural kind of necessities of the people starting the companies, or if it's a larger company, this thing that you mentioned, which is a really good point, which is the uh, the big companies trusting remote work at scale. Um, I wonder if you have any insight into kind of this digital nomad, and if you don't, we can go into something else, but what do you have any insight into this digital nomad people kind of jumping from place to place or uh, people starting companies? Like, are there a lot of people that you would serve who are starting companies in in Salt Lake city, for example? So that's a, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. I'll take two different spots. One, like, I don't think main streets, in fact, I know our primary goal is not to actually support entrepreneurs. Like I am an entrepreneur. I've been one my entire life. I, but for that, you you really need a core team. It, the, the needs are different, right? They, they really are. This is the, you know, we're happy to provide the remote support for a startup. And actually, we could provide the remote, like, support for a startup core team. Uh, but I do think that is not our primary goal, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think in any, uh, I think in any healthy ecosystem, you need the brand new companies. You need the legacy companies. They're a great book. Uh, written by Brad Feld, I don't know, 10 years ago called Startup Ecosystems. He talks about this. You need the legacy players and you need the uh, the fresh people. So I, I think Main Street will open up in locations where there's, you know, where there are, there, there is entrepreneurial uh, energy happening. I mean, if you look at, if I look, take a step back in my career, I've bounced between startup and big company back and forth, but I've had to do that basically in Silicon Valley. It'd be great to give someone the opportunity to do that in, you know, in Boise, right? Work for the hottest startup, work for Google. Uh, it should be one and the same, right? So I think that's the role Main Street can play is facilitating the ability to jump back and forth. Uh, 
going back to the issue you talked about at first, this this brain drain back to India, or this 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 this. this I think what you're seeing, and this is, I, I still think we're all grappling with how to deal with what is happening here. You know, for a long time we assumed that there was one internet, and that one internet would be owned by companies, uh, you know, Facebook and Google and Amazon. It turns out there's actually like three different internets, and you're seeing these centers of gravity form. Uh, you know, you, you do have this primarily U.S. European-based internet uh, with, you know, fully developed countries. Uh, you know, you have some giant companies out of it. But you then have uh, China, which has its own unique ecosystem that is almost impossible for any other company to crack into. So at this point, if you, you know, are a Chinese national, you don't need to come to the United States. You can stay there. You don't even need to work remotely. In most cases, you can't. You can create an enormous amount of wealth uh, in China itself. And then you have this this other internet, this third internet, which is starting to develop, uh, centered in, you know, in India, in the Philippines, which is this, you know, it is a truly mobile first market. It is truly, you know, it's, it, you don't have the same legacy issues that you have in the United States. And so you're seeing these companies that are just exploding and really, you know, hovered around India. The opportunities are enormous and the business models don't look anything like what you saw with, you know, the 90s web, right? Which really we're all, it's, everything's kind of a legacy, uh, you know, here of, of what happened in the 90s. You're seeing these companies that were born mobile, these companies that skipped through the ages where we didn't really have online trust, right? Where, you know, they mm. can go directly to like, you know, there's companies in India, like Urban Clap is a wonderful example of this, that, you know, it is an entire service platform if you need, you know, your, your hair done or you need a, a plumber. And they take care of the end-to-end -end experience of trust and payment and uh, scheduling. Whereas in, you know, in the US or, or Europe, that might actually be five different legacy companies stitched together. So I think you're seeing, I think it's actually wonderful and the, that people don't have to leave their home countries and they can build wealth where they're from. And I think that is a result of you know this this emergence of you know really three distinct you know sec sectors of the internet that uh, maybe will converge one day or maybe there will be uh, you know maybe the internet is not one thing maybe it's you know uh, multiple you know, sub internets uh, anyway and that's really interesting I loved I'd love to have a conversation about that because I think there are those that is a really interesting categorization that I haven't heard of yet. I, I had heard of the U.S. internet and this um, China internet, but this kind of third internet, and I think there's more actually, because uh, there's also something I'm getting into, which is the linguistic barriers of the internet. So the whole Spanish-speaking world has its own own internet as well. Um, but then what you're talking about is this kind of third internet that does share English as its language, um, uh, but then is in a developing country which had new influences that came into it. So that the technology arose at a time when the um, when the development of the country was in a different form of development than it did when, right. than it did when the internet arrived in the United States and trust had to build up. And there there was a time period in India where people didn't trust, but that is happening really quickly uh, right. in comparison to what happened here in the U.S. Um, and then there's yeah, and then I guess in a sense we all have our own individual internet as well. Um, because right. Google, you, you worked at Google, like Google gives me results dependent on, you know, what I've searched for before and all the other information that they're 
that they're creating. And then, you know, you go on Reddit and all the Reddit things. And then my Twitter feed is personalized to me. So in a sense, we all have our own internet and that internet is kind of connected to these subgroups, which I am identified with. And it's, it's really weird. Um, if you have anything to say on that, uh, oh. we can talk more about that or, or go into something else. Sorry, we may need to edit that. I lost you for a split second. Mm -hmm. I, I heard, uh, when you go on Reddit, you know, you have your own own internet. Yeah. And then Twitter, you have your own internet. And, and so it's like the internet is becoming personalized to each, each individual. Um, but then, uh, and then, yeah, it's, 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 yeah. I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I do. I, what's, what's interesting is you described multiple services just there that you use, you know, whether it's Reddit or Twitter uh, or Google. What's interesting in, in Mo in much of the developing world is they have very little web content that is actually built in their language, right? Uh, for example, the overwhelming majority of the world's internet content is actually based built in English. So Google can build a phenomenal search engine when there's, you know, an insane amount of English content. But let's say you live in, you know, in a region that is the fourth most popular Indic language, you're going to have very little information available to you. And so what what happens is all of these services you just described, uh, like whether it's news, whether it's feeds, whether it's search, all get aggregated into you know these giant platforms that have the ability to play an outside, like a bigger role in your life than any of those companies you named before, like Google. I mean, the the, the canonical example of this is WeChat, right, in China, uh, to where it becomes it becomes the internet for people. It's it's your it's your chat. It's your payment. It can be used for search used for shopping, uh, kind of extraordinary. And a lot of that comes from the, the, we take for granted that, you know, the web is in English and there's, I will always find what I'm looking for. And, you know, that is because that is not true everywhere. It's leading to these, these models that, you know, we're just beginning to understand. Hmm. It's really interesting. I'm getting the sense that you know a lot about the international, uh, market for the internet and the linguistic market for the internet. Did you do something at, at Google? or I what? Did, So I did. My, uh, my last role was uh, the chief of staff for Google's a small and medium business ads, as well as what we called, uh, what we what they call uh, NBU, which is the next billion users market, which is how do you break into like India, Indonesia, these areas we can get into. Uh, no, it was, it was a fascinating time. I learned an extraordinary amount. Uh, and it, it, so what I learned is that we don't know, like we're very confident in Silicon Valley that we're taking over the world and mm -hmm. that we're like, we're changing the world. And yet we have a blind spot to 5 billion like humans. And we, we assume that because they're using Facebook and kind of using Google, uh, that the same models that work here are going to work there. And they aren't. Uh, mm -hmm. And you're seeing companies, you know, really struggle to catch up. Uh, I think if, if, if companies want to remain, if Amazon, if I mean, Amazon is, is fighting tooth and nail in India, they have to like, they're, they are not surviving compared to like, you know, Flipkart, for example, uh, you know, there's this full court press. These companies need to be making if they want to survive. Uh, they all also may need to find that what got them to where they are here is not going to work in those other markets. Uh, and you see that without pointing to any specific examples, uh, don't want to like go into too much of the, the stuff at Google. I don't want to get a call from lawyers. Uh, but and this is true with, with Facebook, with Amazon, with Google. Stuff that you know works here and works incredibly well just is dead on arrival in some of these markets. Uh, so we we need to understand these markets 
better in Silicon Valley if we hope to remain relevant to, again, 5 billion human beings. And this is, this is actually the, the interview I did with this person from India is spot on. You're spot on for this, which is that those solutions might actually come from there. What they're, right. do, what they're doing is they're, uh, they are creating almost like a next door, uh, but in India, in these languages, in these local languages, and people are meeting. So it's kind of like a social network with, with mixed with a next door kind of thing uh, for specifically co-located. And that's what he was saying is that, you know, these companies come in and they, they just don't understand it. They just don't right. know where they can understand it. So that, I think that's part of what the show is going to be is, is finding those next companies and finding how, uh, them and kind of getting it out there, which is because I don't think the Chinese are going to do it as well. Um, no. Yeah. So interesting. Um, yeah. We just covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. that's what we I went from Salt Lake to Bangalore very quickly. And that's going to be the, I was, I was thinking about that as we were talking is that it's confusing for me because I'm trying to build a mental model of the whole startup ecosystem of everywhere outside of Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, and it's, and I'm, so I'm talking to these people and that's what I'm noticing is like this guy, I, I can talk very easily with an entrepreneur who has, you know, maybe born in India uh, spent 10 years working for a larger company, starting a company here in India, and then goes back to India because we share the same cultural language. But somebody who's never been to the United That's States right. can actually communicate because I've spent a lot of time living in a lot of different countries. So I can have communication, but it becomes much harder. And it becomes the n notion of face comes into it, saving face. Uh, and That's I, right. And I, I think I've, I pissed off a few Nigerian <laughs> companies. I, I, I think I I think I lost an interview opportunity uh, because I would mention something about Nigeria being known as scammers. But then, oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. then, uh, <laughs> and then, so it's, I, I, uh, but so I'm, it's interesting, like, because in Silicon Valley here, it's totally acceptable to be disagreeable and say things that piss off people as long as you're right or as long as you have some sort of insight. Uh, but that behavior in other countries uh, right. will basically get me uh, not to watch. I mean, that behavior in most other industries too, right? Mm. It's, it's, it's not necessarily, uh, we, we have a special way of, you know, celebrating jerks in Silicon Valley, uh, you know, which, which most, most people do not allow. <laughs> Maybe Hollywood, I guess. Yeah, interesting. Uh, this, is, this brings to mind, it's totally tangential, which is sure. that there are some groups of people there some, that are hard to break into groups of uh, people doing industry. Hollywood be, be a good example, but in Silicon Valley, it is easy to break into kind of, uh, it's easy to at least get into contact with people, but then there are other groups that are harder. And this could kind of uh, get into what you're doing as well. Cause I wonder what the cultural complexities of like how much, how far have you guys gone into talking to the city governments of like, of Salt Lake City and of Portland, and how is that different from communicating with people here in Silicon Valley? So we actually have had extensive conversations with uh, U.S. conference of mayors, with you know multiple like economic uh, development committees and, and and firms across the country, all of whom are actually very excited about what we're doing. Uh, all of these you know all these these organizations literally have millions of dollars that they can spend to attract talent to the region. They have ad dollars, they have, they have facilities. Uh, they're, they're dying for this. So the, uh, and actually they're, they're finding they're very successful. I don't know if you've read this, I think it was a Wall Street Journal article talking about how millennials are moving back to Bakersfield in droves, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so the, these, these, 
people are very excited about the idea of let's attract jobs back here. It, it's very different than Silicon Valley. Like it's a, it's the only people you, and this, this may be a, and is a gross overgeneralization. The only people I know who are very comfortable in Silicon Valley and want to stay here are people who are exceptionally wealthy, right? Uh, people who, you know, who are maybe not trace comas yet, but are, you know, eight digits, like to where, you know, they're fine. Uh, and again, that is an overly broad generalization. Almost everyone I speak to, though, who is a you know young professional, especially with a family, is just waiting. To, when can I move? Right. That that same dynamic does not exist in these other communities. You don't have people in Sacramento saying, oh, "I can't wait to leave Sacramento," right? Or Portland. It's like it's instead, "Oh, I, I love it here. I never want to leave." Uh, so that, that is there's a. It, if anything causes a, a, a change to occur, it's going to be this deep pressure people feel in Silicon Valley specifically that is not felt in these other regions because it's, it's, it's different issues. I also think not to, not to throw my home region, Silicon Valley, under the bus, but we also don't have the infrastructure here that makes it worth it for people. And you look at New York, right? New York is just as expensive, in fact, more so. And yet, you will have people hang on tooth and nail to stay in the city, to stay in Brooklyn, uh, because you're in walking distance from so many amazing things, from great restaurants. You take the train. There's fantastic uh, public transportation. Here, you're paying, you know, Silicon Valley, you're paying midtown Manhattan prices for suburbs, mm. which is, which if you're doing that, you might as well just live in a suburbs that doesn't cost that. Uh, and it's, 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 it's this real strange thing. If you drive around more and more in towards the South Bay on the peninsula, Mount, maybe take Mountain View South, you drive into these neighborhoods and you will occasionally bump into these super apartment complexes that have 5,000 units that are almost cities unto themselves. So you know, Santa Clara and Sunnyvale are kind of the epicenter for this. So you'll see massive things that look like they're big city blocks right next to, you know, like single family homes, neighborhoods built in the 50s. And so it's this jarring juxtaposition of, uh, you know, intense density that you would see in a big company, a big, a big city and normal suburbia. I don't know how long that can last, right? Uh, does this whole region need to become a megalopolis that is incredibly dense? Uh, how will that change things? We're now going beyond, you know, an area I know of. It's just been in my eight years now, eight and a half years in, in Silicon Valley, I have noticed more and more the rise of these like hyper dense areas within within what is the suburbs and I don't know how sustainable that is. I want to go back to something you said earlier, which was really interesting with, which is that a lot of people here in San Francisco are wanting to leave um, and can't just can't wait to get out. And it is interesting. The thing that you mentioned about family, because if you aren't part of that people who are making that high, high thing that you, makes you very comfortable to live here, you are, and you have a family, you're definitely thinking about leaving this place because it's just, right. it's not sustainable. And then there's another thread, which is culturally San Francisco is very interesting right now. And there, it's something I first started investigating on the show actually two years ago now, which is that there, San Francisco not only was the birthplace of technology, but it was also the birthplace of uh, the melding or smashing together of Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy and uh, spiritual practices and all this different stuff, right. which kind of gave rise to a revolution in terms of psychology. Uh, and so there's actually like a huge amount of 
psychological innovation uh, that's happening here. And that doesn't take the place of only kind of talk therapy, but also in terms of uh, psychedelic therapy, in terms of massage therapy, so and then dance as well. And all, so there are a bunch of people here who want to be here for those reasons, but then also face this economic pressure from the, the, right. the technology thing, which is making their jobs. So, but they, but they want to stay here because there is something so interesting happening here as well. And that's, sure. that's, and that's not going away anytime soon. Um, uh, and so it's a really interesting thing that I've, that I've been trying to pierce together as well. And that it is moving. Cause I like in a place like Brooklyn, what has been discovered here in San Francisco and to a larger extent, large extent LA as well, um, is also going to other urban areas around the world and even to places like Mexico or other places in, in the cities. So it's, it's a interesting thing that's happening in that case as well. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So we got about five minutes left. What is one question that I haven't asked you that I should have asked you about the rise of remote work um, and the changes that we're about to see in terms of the workforce? Sure. Well, I'll, I'll let you know what my biggest fear is in this, both for my company and for just the state of the industry. It's we don't we can't predict what the effect of a recession is going to be, right? Uh, there are two schools of thought on this. One is that a recession will look a lot like it did in 2008. And, and the result of that was actually companies, their very first people to go were the remote workers, right? It was, we can't support these, these people scattered throughout, see you later, it's not working. Uh, which in that case, if that were to be true, then, you know, my company's in trouble. Uh, However, because over the last decade, technology has improved so much in this space, another school of thought, and this is where I am placing a big bet, that if a recession happens or there's an economic downturn, then companies, like large companies, will actually look to hire less expensive talent in less expensive markets, right? Or that people will leave the bigger cities uh, to lower their cost of living, get jobs that actually give them a higher quality of life. So it's... I, you know, I'm not smart enough to predict the future. I do think, though, the effect of a recession will be fascinating. I mean, it will, any recession would be terrible for the country, to be clear, but would be will be fascinating to see what the effect of that is on remote work. And this is something that I had actually only thought about a few days ago when a friend of mine brought that same thing up. And I, I think that's correct that I think a lot of, because now enough, and it's enough hype, it's enough companies have started to realize the benefits. And also in that, in terms of the it, the first jobs that are always remote and that even if a company isn't remote, uh, they will allow them to be remote are developers. Um, and that, I mean, so, much, so many of the jobs in Silicon Valley are developers. So it seems like the last recession, that wasn't the case and that now something has changed in terms right. of the openness towards developers as well. Well, and suddenly there was, you know, in New York, actually JP Morgan is moving out, you know, thousands and not tens of thousands of its employees to you know less expensive areas actually it's to protect against a recession right so you're now starting to see industries that normally would never move you know their financial analysts outside of wall street into places you know like dallas texas uh, plano texas uh, hmm. so again there's the, the the trends are changing and have changed uh, it'll be interesting to see how deeply remote is embraced by you know how many different types of of companies and industries. Interesting. Well, this has been really cool. Uh, how can people find out more about Main Street? So go to workonmainstreet.com. 
Again, that's workonmainstreet.com. Uh, if you're interested in leaving the Bay Area, you can apply for our uh, uh, our, our program is it up for a limited amount of time. Uh, we, you know, of course, like every startup, have our own medium uh, post, and you can go check that out, uh, or find us on Twitter or Facebook, any of the usual locations. And what what does the application process look like for the for the grant? It's actually pretty easy. You you submit your email address. We'll send you a link to the application. Uh, you talk a little bit about your background. You talk about where you're interested in moving. We're then able to screen, is this the right choice? For example, if you are in an industry where remote work is going to be very, very difficult, for example, my wife's an OBGYN, it'll be a long time till that goes remote, right? Uh, if, if you're in the right industry and the right background, then you're a candidate. And actually, we've had thousands of applications and hundreds of those people have been great, great candidates. And that's just really during week one. Mm. That's really interesting. I'm really looking forward to seeing where you guys take this particular as a kind of this, you know, Lambda school thing, you guys and Flock J and then a few other companies that are trying to create the avenues for this uh, ability for people to start getting into the tech ecosystem as the tech ecosystem distributes itself. That's right. Um, yeah. Cool. Thank you so much, Doug. My pleasure. Thanks for tuning into the show. If you liked it, please go ahead and find us on iTunes or Spotify and hit the subscribe button. I'll publish each episode by Monday morning before your commute, so make sure to check in then. And this is a reminder to just own your crazy because the challenges that this world will be facing over the next hundred years will require us to think way outside the box. As Hunter S. Thompson said, when the going gets weird, the weird turn pro. Thanks, have a great day.